So, this morning we started working on the concept, and I, and I was not going to go to revival this particular week. It actually is uh, those that are part of the uh, normal attendees here at the church. About a month ago, I announced uh, uh, that on the entire month of March, which is the same thing we did last year, is dedicated basically to spiritual growth, spiritual renewal, leading towards what we like to say reaching for revival. And uh, this morning, I was moved by a particular event that happened uh, a week ago Friday. As uh, those that were here this morning know, I was contacted by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. And some of you are saying, wait a second, Dr. DeYoung uh, passed away a little over a year ago. Well, he has a son that's about my age, a couple years younger. And uh, we've been good friends for many years. And he called me up and said, hey, Rich, would you come on the radio show? They've got about 600 stations that they're on every weekend. And I said, sure, what's, what's the topic? And he said, the Asbury Revival. And I said, well, I said, here's a problem, brother. I don't know a thing about it. I'm going to have to research it quickly. And uh, I said, I'm happy to do the show for you. What time? And he, I had plenty of time to do the research. And uh, so I did and uh, started looking through things, what was taking place in Asbury. And, uh, of course, now the, the revival had been going on now for some time, and it had spread to other college campuses including Cedarville, uh, which is one I'm a little more familiar with than Asbury. But uh, the concept hit, it's like, wow, this is it's front and center right now. Uh, the media is uh, making a huge issue out of this, and not from a bad standpoint, by the way, but uh, which is unusual. Even the, the liberal media was uh, being positive about something spiritual, which is unusual. But uh, when I started to read the comments, they were way over here or way over here. It was either they loved it or they hated it. They thought it was a good thing or a bad thing. And it's like, all right, well, it's, that's nothing new. Anytime something in uh, the Christian realm happens, you know there's going to be those that love it and those that are not so appreciative of it. Well, again, my point is not to go into what's taking place there. Uh, I prefer not to um, get into it because it'll be nothing more than a controversial he said, she said, they said, they did, and uh, that's the last thing I want to do. So I'm, I'm I, and again, in Sunday school I talked a little bit about it, and uh, the only thing I'll say is this, anytime you get a group of young people together, whether it's high school, whether it's college, whether it's young adults, and they get together and they're singing hymns and they're giving testimonies and they're praising the Lord. It's really difficult for me to get negative about that. Uh, <laughs> because especially when you know what's taking place uh, in other parts of our country outside the Christian sphere tonight, where uh, there'll be drug overdoses, there'll be people abusing alcohol, there'll be murders tonight. There'll be uh, people that are hurting others. There'll be domestic abuse tonight. There'll be kids that'll run away from home and uh, a plethora of other things that uh, can take place. So when I'm hearing about a, a, a group of young people that are committing the horrible sin of praying and worshiping together, it's like I'm not going to be negative about that. Now, I may not agree with their theology, and, and uh, I don't agree with some of the theology at Asbury, but it's like that's not the point. I'm happy that young people there are taking the time to worship the Lord, have a, a little spiritual renewal time, the same at Cedarburg and other colleges. So uh, uh, you say, well, what's your, what's your position? My position is this. 
Let's leave the, the Christian folks alone because we got enough to fight the devil and what he's doing in our country than to worry about a college that may not have the same exact doctrine as we do. Let them be. If they want to praise uh, the Lord in the way they do, if they want to sing their hymns, if they want to uh, uh, get right with each other and hug each other and say, I'm sorry I was offensive to you, I think that's, a, that's, that's okay by my book. Uh, it's a whole lot better than uh, going downtown Milwaukee tonight where people will stick guns in each other's faces and say, listen, you either do this or I'm going to kill you, and they're going to end up killing somebody. They're going to go to bars tonight, and they're going to kill one another. They're going to fight. They're going to end up in hospitals. That I'm against, and I'll be strong against that. Uh, so, uh, uh, But here's, here's the point. The point is this. Revival is breaking out all over the media. And I'm like, all right, we were going to start this in March, but uh, it's so timely and so important that uh, I... I decided uh, all day today and uh, then all through March we're going to be speaking on spiritual awakening, reaching for revival and what that means for us here at Union Grove Baptist Church as well as all like-minded churches uh, as we seek to do exactly that which is to seek God. All right, I'm going to skip ahead. We went through uh, about the first third of the message, first half of the message this morning. And really the three key things that we were looking at, and sorry as I scroll through here to get to where I want to be, um, we looked at revival in the past, and here's where we ended up this morning. So we're looking at revival past, and then tonight we're going to get into the present, and then to the future. So past, present, and future, what does revival mean from a biblical standpoint? And that's the issue. We want to get a biblical stance on this. So the handout that you have, which is a little unusual, I usually don't give a handout like that. I usually give you an outline. But every word, every time the word revival is used in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New, and translated revival is on that sheet. What you'll find is, as you look at the Old, and there's only one New Testament passage, which is the last one on page 2. Everything else is Old Testament. When you look at about a third of those entries on page one and the first part of page two, many, about a third of them have nothing to do with a spiritual revival. Uh, it has to do with, uh, I was, uh, with different forms of basically being made alive or getting uh, uh, active about something or God doing uh, uh, something, but it had nothing to do with a spiritual renewal or revival, which is what our theme is. However, what we're going to see tonight, we're going to center in on those Old Testament passages in a few moments that literally tell you what revivals were happening. Happening. If you were here this morning, we talked about King Hezekiah, tremendous revival that took place under his leadership, and we went through uh, multiple points on that. The whole point was this. The people, the Jewish people back in the past, just as a quick review, the Jewish people had basically fallen away from God. The religious leaders had fallen away from God. They forsook him. They basically all but shut down the temple, which is, of course, uh, it's not like in today's world where you have multiplicity of local New Testament churches. The temple in Jerusalem was the center focus for the Jewish people. But the priests, the Jewish priests weren't showing up. They weren't doing what God had asked them to do, and the place, of the, the building had fallen into disrepair. The spiritual life of the people had fallen into disrepair. And Hezekiah comes on the scene, and he's like, listen, folks, let's get God's house back in order. So it started out with a, a renewal of getting the, the temple cleaned up, and it said, get the rubbish out of here, clean it up. 
The reason it was dirty and filthy and rubbish was literally in God's temple. Nobody was using it. They weren't taking care of it. So he's like, let's get this cleaned up. And, And that's what they did. Then he's like, we need to clean the people up. Let's get the priest back walking with God. Let's get the sacrificial system back in order. And then we talked about, uh, uh, he said, listen, we got to get our worship back in order. And we talked about the, the various instruments and the singing that was done as they worshiped and praised God and, and uh, literally had a revival back in that time. Well, that was Old Testament times. And we want to move ahead to, well, how about today? What does revival from a biblical standpoint, not a historical standpoint, here's the problem we're going to face. Every single one of us that's been saved longer than a few days or a few years, let's make it a few years, you have a presupposition of what revival looks like. You've been taught, whether it's through radio, TV, Bible schools, pastors, this is what revival is. And if I asked everyone, if you, every one of us took a piece of paper right now and wrote out what, what we think a revival is, we'd probably come up with a definition similar to this. Revival is when God's people have a spiritual awakening within their hearts and souls, and there's a tremendous movement uh, of prayer and uh, of forgiveness and getting right with each other and getting right with God, and then uh, an evangelistic outreach. And... Most of us would say, yeah, that pretty much sounds like a a revival. Well, we're going to go to the one passage tonight in in just a moment, and uh, we're going to look at exactly what was taking place. What is literally, when the word revival in the, uh, literally out of the original language is used, what's it referring to? Now, by the way, I'm not opposed to what I just said. It's a good definition. It's a good uh, definition from the Old Testament. And I think we can back it up with New Testament principles as well. When God does something in someone's heart and they draw closer to him, well, revival is basically the word itself means to make alive. In the King James Version, it's to quicken. It's basically to uh, take out of a dead state and to bring in an alive state. Basically, if you could use it, and we'll actually see that tonight, when you are spiritually dead, and God revives you out of that deadness. And uh, most of you that have been attending the Roman study on Sunday nights are familiar with that. Well, let's pray. I'm going to give you a little bit of history, and uh, then we'll get into the passage tonight. We'll get into two different passages in about the 35, 40 minutes we have left, and uh, ask God to do something within our hearts. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for these folks that have come out on a Sunday night. Uh, Thank you for those watching on the internet tonight. Lord, we pray that you would move within our people, move within this church, move within us individually and corporately. Father, we, we need your Holy Spirit to touch our lives that this whole body, this whole sinful nature, which we still possess, even if we've trusted Christ, that old nature which fights us every single day, trying to keep us from serving you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to be revived, that we'd be quickened out of a a, a complacent state, and that you'd help us, Lord, to be focused on you, not just one hour a week Sunday morning or Sunday uh, as a day, but, Father, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, would you help us to focus on you 
and to be what you've called us to be, people that bring honor and glory to you. So, Father, we ask that you'd move within our hearts tonight. And, uh, Father, of course, if anyone is uh, here listening tonight or watching that uh, if they don't know Christ, might they find him and have the greatest revival within their heart as they find the Lord Jesus tonight. So, Father, revive us again in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's talk for a few moments historically about Protestant revivalism. Now, uh, you'll, you're going to get several things from a more, I don't like using a word, but it's a good word, an academic or a scholastic standpoint as we start into this tonight, and then we'll get into the Scripture. But uh, when you think about uh, Protestant, now, first of all, some of you are like, uh, that may be a foreign word to some. What does Protestant mean? Uh, if we look at the mainline denominational church, which existed hundreds of years ago and still exists today, it would be Catholicism. So basically, we're either looking at uh, the Catholic group or you're looking at the Protestant group. So we're going to center in not on Catholicism tonight, but on Protestants, which we would be part of that group. So what is Protestant revivalism? Revivalism is the movement that promotes periodic spiritual intensity in church life during which the unconverted come to Christ and the converted are shaken out of their spiritual lethargy. In other words, what, Scott, what, what are they saying here by this definition? They're saying uh, 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 you get saved. And it's very easy to get complacent in our walk with God. It just is. It happens, and, and the, one of the easiest ways to illustrate that is relationships. And by the way, everything that we do has a relationship somehow to what God does because we're made after his image. And when God uses illustrations and human beings, it's on purpose because guess what? We are human beings. <laughs> and God basically, if you look at how things happen, what happens when a, a young couple, all of a sudden you have a, a young man and a young woman and they lock eyes across the room. And he's like, man, she's a pretty girl. And uh, she looks at him and says, that's an ugly guy, but uh, I kind of like him. And uh, now in all seriousness, but they kind of lock eyes and it's like, mm, you know, maybe I'm interested. By the way, does that happen with young people? All the time, right? I mean, it's, it's, well, by the way, that's the way God meant it to be, that guys and girls actually look at each other and they're pleased with what they're looking at. That, that's why there's one man, one woman marriage according to the Scripture because that's the way God designed it. Oh, I'm sorry, did I rabbit trail? Uh, but I mean that. And uh, uh, she looks at him, he looks at her, and there's this uh, a little bit of a spark that starts, and they get together, and it's like, you know, you know kind of embarrassed and all that kind of thing, and uh, all of a sudden, relationship begins to grow. He's like, hey, you know, uh, I kind of like you. Well, what do you think about, uh, and then they decide to go somewhere and uh, have a, have a date, and uh, life is good, and they progress along, and they spend more time together, and they get to know each other better. And uh, finally, uh, uh, after maybe, uh, let's see, in Valerie, in my case, it was about six months, uh, popped the question, hey, I love you, will you marry me? Oh, and Valerie, of course, said, oh, absolutely. <laughs> 
I think that's what she said. I don't recall. But anyway, uh, uh, that's beside the point. But, uh, you know, I'd see her come into the cafeteria, and my heart would skip a couple of beats because I knew that she was going to get a tray in the cafeteria at the college we went to, and they didn't feed us hardly anything. And I looked at her, and I was thrilled to see her, but I couldn't wait till she sat down next to me so I could eat her tray. <laughs> that was real love. And, uh, but... Uh, it was, though. Do you remember you remember back in the day, uh, husbands, wives, maybe someone that's uh, young yet, you're not married yet, but uh, your, your heart kind of lights up when you see that person walk in the room and you get those little flutters. And, and it's fun and it's exciting. And uh, uh, then you decide to, well, let's get married. And you get married. And I said, you know, and then the next step is the rings go on and then it starts. Now, Contrary to what you heard at the Valentine's banquet, which is a very rare occasion where the husband and wife claim after years and years of marriage, they've never had one scuffle. And I'm like, one of them has no heart or something isn't working if you never have an argument with your spouse. Or they're just so spiritual and I'm not to that point. But the bottom line is, here's what happens in the majority of marriages. And, and, I, and I mean this with all seriousness. Everything's great. Life is great. Maybe the dating life had some ups and downs even back then, but they get married and all of a sudden familiarity breeds contempt. And that which used to be where your heart skipped the beat when you saw the other person and you were so excited, all of a sudden now they don't hang up the towel the same way you do. And they don't squeeze the toothpaste the same way you do. And they don't put the toilet paper on in the correct side. And uh, uh, they cook different than you're used to eating. And all of a sudden, that relationship, which was on fire, and you couldn't wait to see each other, begins to grow stagnant and cold. It can. Now, not all, all happens, but it can. And what this is saying is, when you first trusted Christ... Just the enthusiasm and the love you had. Wow, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven now. And uh, uh, many of you, uh, if you were like me, I mean, I got saved and it was just as on fire. I wanted to tell the folks about Christ. Now, some didn't have that quick of a start. But it was, uh, you've grown in your faith. You've grown in your love for the Lord. And then all of a sudden, what can happen is we get complacent. We get status quo. The fire in our heart begins to go out. And God says, listen, you need a little revival. You need to get it sparked back up again. So uh, when we're looking at revival, what are we looking for? Well, I would agree with what's here. During which the unconverted come to Christ and the converted are shaken out of their spiritual lethargy, or basically, what's he saying? They're not on fire anymore. They're complacent. Often leading to social and moral reform activities, revivalism was one of the chief characteristics of American Protestantism in the 18th and 19th century, in other words, the 1700s and 1800s, and still retains a powerful influence in many quarters. And I trust that's part of what is and shall continue to happen here. Revivalism, I mean, constantly moving forward, constantly being excited about our relationship with Christ. Unevenly distributed among the denominations, revivalism has been strongest in Baptist, and of course this is getting uh, the Methodists, which are not quite as strong as they used to be in many different of them, but he, he cites Baptist, Methodist, 
Holiness and Pentecostal groups where is where most of the historic revivals took place. All right, so let's that's thinking about our definition, if you will, or our concept of what is revival. So when we go to the scriptures, and we're going to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at several verses tonight in Ephesians 2. Again, if you take your concordance out tonight, that means concordance is basically, some of you have them in the back of your Bibles, some of you have heard of Young's concordance or Strong's concordance, others you may use Lagos, which has uh, search engines, other different programs on the internet. When you're looking at a concordance, basically looking up a word and seeing all the places where it's used in Scripture. If you look up revival, again, in the New Testament, you're not going to find a whole lot. The concept is there, but not necessarily the word. Well, one of the words that can be translated revival is found in Ephesians chapter 2. And here's what it says. And he's speaking to Christians here. And you, Ephesians Christians from Ephesus, he made alive. Now, if you look at most of your Bibles, you're going to see that in italics, but it picks it up later, a couple of verses later, when the same word is used. That word, many places, historically, has been translated revival. So he's basically saying, in you, Christian, he hath what? He has quickened. He has revived who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. So the first concept that God brings about in this verse about revival has nothing to do with spiritual renewal of Christians. It has everything to do with, with unsafe folks coming to Christ. Folks, the greatest revival, if you're a Christian here tonight, that will ever happen in your life has already occurred. The greatest revival was when God got a hold of your heart, he quickened you, he made you alive, he revived you from that which is dead to that which is now alive. Now, if you're a Christian, here's the issue. You're no longer living in sin. Now, you may do things that are sinful on occasion. You may do things that are wrong because we're not perfect yet. But God's saying this. Listen, when I took you from spiritual death to spiritual life, that was the greatest revival that will ever happen in your life body, if you will, in your spiritual condition. That's exactly what he's saying here. And you, he made alive, he revived you, who were what? We were dead in trespasses and sins. So what is a, a revival? Basically, it brings life. And now we're going to expand on that concept in a little bit, but I want us to get the biblical basis first, which is why when we say a great revival is taking place, and that's what I talked about with Jimmy DeYoung on the radio show, Revival is, in, in its most evident form, is when sinners come to Christ. Folks, again, let's go back to what we talked about this morning. What is Jesus Christ's mission? Why did Jesus Christ come to this earth? And again, two main passages give us his mission. Now, if, if those of you that were in the military or maybe uh, the fire department or uh, uh, police or sheriff's office, or others that you have a mission statement in the place you work or go to school. Almost every place, almost every business has a mission statement. What are we trying to accomplish? What is the goal of our, the ultimate goal of our organization? What is our mission? And God says, here's my mission. My mission is Luke 19.10. 
that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To seek and to save those who are lost. Now, that should be ingrained in our heads, folks, because if Union Grove Baptist Church does not have that mission, we should close the doors. And no, we're not closing the doors. Don't, no, not having it. But the issue is this. Are we, are we sold on Christ's mission, or do we have our own mission? That's called liberalism when you get off of Christ's mission and decide to do a different one. So what is he saying? Christ Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's why he came. To, why would God leave heaven's glory, come down to this horrible place, go to a cross, crucified three days in the grave, and rise from the dead? Because his mission was, if I don't do that, speaking of Christ, not a single person will get to heaven because they'll be stuck in their sins. And I want to revive them. We talked about uh, uh, Paul, 1 Timothy 1.15, another verse I'd encourage you to memorize. The Apostle Paul says, listen, you want to know what the mission of Christ is? He says, this is a faithful and acceptable saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the mission. That's the revival that God wants to see in our communities. That's the mission that God wants to see in Union Grove, in Kansasville, Yorkville, Milwaukee County, Racine County, Kenosha County, the state of Wisconsin, and all, uh, every single state in the Union, and globally. That's his mission, revival. But to revive people from a spiritual deadness to spiritual life. So the first concept about revival from Ephesians chapter 2 is God making that which is spiritually dead spiritually alive. That's true revival. And you we made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Once walked. Now folks, we, 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 we try to give sometimes Christians a little too much latitude. You say, what do you mean by that? We're so concerned to make sure people understand that they're saved by grace. Nothing you have to do. We talked about it in Sunday school. You know, there's this thing about uh, uh, you got to be perfect or you got to have uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord before you come to Jesus. Well, that's not going to happen. You can't make Jesus Lord of your life until you first know him personally. But there's uh, 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 we get real strong in this. Listen, it's salvation by grace through faith alone. And we should make that a strong point. But here's what happens. We get stuck on that. It's like, hey, you get saved, and uh, uh, it's all good. It's all, no, it's not all good. It's not all good. You see, when God saved me, when he saved you, he didn't expect us to go back to the old way of living. Because what? He revived you. And he said, I want you to be dead to that way of life. I want you to be dead to those sinful things. You say, listen, that's old-fashioned fundamentalist Baptist preaching. No, it's old-fashioned fundamental Bible preaching. It's what God's Word says. God didn't save us to live in sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says in Romans, God forbid. So, and you say, Pastor, you understand you're preaching to the choir here. Well, I know I can... I can put the choir right over. Yes, you're absolutely right. But why are we talking about this among us? Why are we saying this? Because, listen, God, or excuse me, Satan doesn't care about folks that aren't walking with him, that aren't walking with the Lord. Who's Satan going to go after? 
Listen, if you're, if, you're, if you're a Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night kind of person, you, you do your devotions every day, you try to walk with God, you try to raise your kids right, you try and uh, uh, get along with your spouse right, Satan doesn't like it. And by the way, Satan didn't die when fundamentalism died out. Is he still alive today? Folks, it's a spiritual war every single day we get up. It's a spiritual fight every single day we get up. Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. That's not a joke. That's not an idea. It's not something that sounds cute. It is an absolute, you better put your armor on if you're going to fight in this world today. Folks, every single day I get up. If I don't put on my armor, I'm opening myself up to the enemy. I've, I've, t- I've used this illustration many times, and most of you know I was in the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office for 32 years been a ministry for well over 40. Don't ask me how, read the book. But uh, uh, the issue is this. When I do roll calls with, with uh, uh, the, the, the deputies, and I've told you this before, and they show up in roll call and say, everybody stand up. Captain, run down the road. Tell me if everybody has all their equipment, has their badge on, if uh, uh, they're wearing the right uniform. Check everything out. Excuse me. Right here. There's nobody sitting here, so I can point there. <laughs> where's your handcuffs well I, I think they're in my lo- what do you mean you think they're in your locker what's going to happen when you're on the street and you arrest somebody today and your handcuffs aren't on your belt and the guy's resistive and he's struggling and you can't put him under uh, a control because you don't have your handcuffs Get out of here, find your handcuffs, and then come back. And don't, come, don't go on the street until you first come back with those handcuffs and prove you got them. I'm telling you the truth. Hey, guys show up the roll call without their gun. I mean, the holster's there, but nothing's in it. Where's the gun at? Uh, I, I can't remember. I left it in the car. I left it at home. I left it in my... Go get your gun. And when you get it, you come back to my office to prove you got it, and then we'll get you on the street. Folks, God looks at us, and it's the same exact thing. Do you have your spiritual armor on? And you go to Ephesians 6, and you read through it, and it's like our every single piece in place, because if it's not, just like the officer who goes out on the street without a gun, somebody shoots at him or her, and they have no way to respond except to hopefully run and get cover they have no, no offensive weapon. And God says, listen, uh, uh, when you get up in the morning, you better have your spiritual armor on. You better be prayed up. You better be reading your Bible. You better be right with God. You better have uh, uh, the faith. You better know for sure that you're one of God's children. You better go out there and attack offensively and not just be there to get beat up and hurt. Folks, it's a, it's a battle. It's a battle every single day. He says, you once walked. Now, w- wait a sec. You say, come on, man, you know, uh, give us a break. You know how hard it is to live godly in this present world? Do you know how tough it is when I go to school, young people, high school folks? And, and you go to school, and uh, some of you still go to secular schools, some of you uh, even in Christian schools. And you go there, and you're under constant attack by the other kids. And they bully you, and they harass you, and they give you a hard time. And it's like, oh, yeah, you Bible-thumping, fundy, uh, you know, and, and they give you a run for the money. And I know some of the people in this room have gone through that. 
because not every single child in the Christian school is, number one, saved or right with God. Just because it's a Christian school doesn't mean they're all Christians. Folks, we got, we got to get a little bit further beyond this. Christianity is not cultural. It's not a cultural decision. It's a heart decision when a young person or a teenager or an adult, it's not because mommy, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning too. People that have, uh, I'm, I know I'm saved. Well, how do you, and I'm running into this more and more and more and more. How do you know you're saved? How do you know if you died today, you go to heaven? Because I was raised in a Christian home. I've always believed. No, you didn't. Folks, that is not a good Bible answer. I've always believed. No, you have not always believed. There's a point in time, and we talked about justification. There's a point in time when somebody makes the decision to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior by faith and faith alone. No, you weren't born a Christian. You were not born a Christian. It's a personal decision that has to be made at some point in your life. And once you make that decision, and I trust folks in this room have done that. If you've not, we'll invite you to do that in a few moments. But if you've not done that, listen, once you make that decision and you place your faith and trust in Christ, here's the next part of revival. He said, listen, when you, when you receive Christ, when you were made alive from your sins, in which you once walked, what does that imply? I mean, it's in the past tense. You used to do that kind of thing. Now, do Christians struggle with sin? Absolutely. Does Satan tempt us? Absolutely. That's why we need to have revival. Because Satan isn't done with us yet, any more than God isn't done with us yet. And when Satan is there, if you will, in the demonic army and your old flesh is saying, I want to do this, and you know it's wrong, and it's like, how in the world do I get through this temptation? Well, you put on your spiritual armory and you fight. And you fight, and you fight, and you fight. Last night I went to bed and didn't sleep much. And uh, this whole week, and I told you that this morning, man, I, I knew it was coming, that we're, we're, uh, we're going to be going into the battlefield the next five weeks. We're going to battlefield every week, by the way, but we're really getting into the thick of things in the next five weeks, including tonight. And it's like, Lord, I just want old-fashioned revival in my own heart right now. And, and I mean, I just I, I spent a lot of time praying last night, like, Lord, I need to see things like I did back when I was in high school and when I got saved and back in college when I got so fired up and excited about God. And Lord, I want to have that same relationship with you I had back then. And I want things to be more on fire today and, and, and tomorrow and until you decide to take me home than they were back when I was a, a full-time uh, in Christian college and going to seminaries where it was an absolutely glorious environment. Every single day I went to chapel. Every day, I went to Bible classes day and night. It was 100% soaked and saturated with the Word of God and with other Christians, and it was like living in a little bit of heaven here on earth for the years I was there. What happens when you get out of that environment? All of a sudden, all your Christian friends are gone. They're in other places. They're not left the earth, but all of a sudden, you're on your own. 
All of a sudden, you, you go to a, a, a city named Milwaukee, and uh, you, you work and try and start a church in, uh, uh, in Greenfield, Wisconsin, and you go door to door to door to door to door to door and telling folks about Christ, and, and you see a few folks come to Christ, and the church begins to grow, and the opposition begins to come, and all of a sudden, everything that was this beautiful, wonderful environment is now a huge battlefield. And folks, the same way, when I began our first church in Greenfield, Wisconsin, and the attacks came like you would not believe are the exact same attacks that'll happen when you try and get right with God today. And they were severe. You say, how severe were they? They were so severe that people took our literature, which didn't have anything on the back page, handwritten stuff, about being involved with seditious groups. No truth to it whatsoever. And they sent it to the buildings in which we had rented. And I walk in and uh, uh, the, the head of a particular bank that we were renting from says, uh, this will be your last Sunday here. And I said, what do you mean it's our last Sunday here? What happened? What's the problem? And uh, he said, well, uh, we got a bad report about you and he named a couple of seditious groups that we alleged we were part of. And I said, that is the most craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. I said, absolutely not. And he says, I can't take any chances. Bye-bye. That began a string of events of, and, and I'm, I can't, I don't even want to get into it tonight. But what I'm saying is this. You want to get into a battle, you start serving God. You say, I don't want that battle. God's called us to it. Listen, uh, uh, folks, this is a Sunday night crowd. Now, I'm not saying the folks Sunday morning aren't as invested as you are, but you're here tonight. You're here because you want to be here on a Sunday night. You're here saying, listen, I'm here to, to serve God. I want to know more about revival. I want to know more about serving him. I want to be right with him and have a great relationship with him. And I'm telling you, every single one of us, you're going to get attacked potentially this week. And I'm saying you need to put on your spiritual armor. And he's saying, listen, Christian, these things you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Yeah. It's no joke. Listen, we try to brush off Satan. We try and brush off the demonic army like they're no big deal. And God says, listen, there are powers. There's principalities. There's powers that are from the dark side, if you will. What are we talking about? Satan, the demonic army. And we want to blow it off because, well, that's too spiritual sounding or it's too angelic sounding or too mystical. It's in the Word of God, folks. It's real. I don't raise any hands because I may get, I, I'm going to a specific question now, and some of you may disagree with where I'm going right now, but just think through it for a minute. How many of you see Jesus every day? I'm making it real broad right now. You know, when I got saved, I never saw Jesus show up. I, I think I can say I felt the Holy Spirit's presence, but I never saw Jesus. I never have seen him. And by the way, I don't believe I will see him until I get to heaven or when he raptures us up. And uh, I never had Jesus walk up behind me and tap me on the shoulder and say, Hey, Rich, here's what I need you to do. Haven't had that. Never have. And I don't believe I ever will, too. I see him face to face. Do you believe that God exists? That's pretty weak. Do you believe that God exists? Yes. 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? So you believe in a spiritual world, yes? The same Jesus, the same God that you have never seen, that have never touched you, that have never walked up here and said, here I am, just as real as Jesus is, just as real as God the Father is, just as real as the Holy Spirit is, is just as real as Satan and the demonic army are. Maybe that puts it a little more in perspective. And that's why that unseen army is constantly out there trying to push us down. He said, listen, you once walked according to the course of this world. Once walked. Folks, we got to stop giving ourselves spiritual passes. We just do. You say, what do you mean? What I mean is this. God did not save us and call us to live the same old life we had before we got saved. He just didn't. The scriptures are filled and filled and filled with this. And it's not popular even in Christian churches today. We want to live it our way. We want to have the Burger King philosophy. Have it your way. And God says, how about having it my way? Folks, this is tough, and it's hard. And, and, and seriously, I'm not thinking of one person in this room tonight and saying, listen, you need to get your heart right with me. I just know the battle we're in. I know the battle I'm in. I know the battle that you are in, even if we haven't talked about it, because if you're a Christian here, you're in the battle. You just are. Uh, he said he used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We used to be sold out to that group. And God says, I revived you. I revived you. I quickened you. I made you alive. When you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, among whom also we all, wait, once, past tense, conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Oh, you want to know where Satan and, uh, and I don't want to blame everything on Satan because we, uh, our old sinful nature does plenty good evil on its own. You know what goes on up here? I don't think there's a single person in here would say, oh, you know, if uh, uh, everything that I've thought in the past week or month or year, I don't care if it was completely written out in a big transcript and if everybody read it, there's nothing there that's embarrassing to me. I hope that's the case, but probably not. Do you ever get mad at somebody? Do you ever look at somebody and say, ah, I can't stand that person. I wish they're dead. Or you talk to somebody and, and you say horrible things about them. Or, or you, you look at someone and you lustfully look all these different things and they get inside our mind. And God says, listen, we got to clean up that mind. It has to be transformed. Transformed. And it's tough and it's hard and we all go through it. Listen, if you say, man, uh, I wish you wouldn't say those things because you're pointing me out tonight. No, I'm pointing every single one of us out, including me, because we all struggle with it. Every single one of us. No one's exempted from this. There's no temptation taken you but such as is common to man and woman. But is God able? Absolutely. So he says, listen, don't fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath just as the others. So God says, listen, when I saved you, I want you to think about what he saved you from. He saved you from this stuff. 
He saved you from these things. Does it still get in our heads? Is it still a spiritual battle? The answer is absolutely. Requires, uh, revival requires salvation by grace alone. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, in sin, he made us alive. That's revival. Folks, that is the core of revival, is knowing Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. You want to see revival at Union Grove Baptist Church? Then invite your friends, invite your relatives, invite the person at the local gas station, invite the person who runs the restaurants in our town, and every single other person you run into, and you tell them the gospel. And you bring them here if they're not accepting it. And we'll tell them the gospel. And when those folks come to Jesus and they get saved, you will see in-person revival. That's revival. Listen, that's where it all starts. It's when God's people uh, uh, get out there and get the, get the job done. And, and we go out there and we plant and we water. Listen, every single time you go out and you plant water, are you going to get fruit? Are you going to get fruit? Hate to, hate to blow your bubble, but no. Uh, you may witness to 100 people, and every single one of them may say, not interested. Bernie Hertel, who I've known for years, was up here today. He pulls out a little tract. He said, you know, he said, I, I gave this tract, and he's probably given them out thousands of those tracts, and he hands it to one person, and the guy says this, can you believe, I mean, this is unbelievable what he said. He takes the track from Bernie and he says, I've been looking for this. I've been searching for this. And the guy, I mean, it happens all the time. And folks get saved. Can God still save folks today in 2023? Is he done saving folks? Has revival ended? Absolutely not. And don't you ever let anybody say it has. Listen, I know the world's a mess. I know it's got problems. I know our country has problems. I know our state has problems. But listen, I'm not here to worry about all the social ears of the, ills of the world. The only thing that will change the heart is the gospel. Government does not change the heart. Only God can do that. And folks, we can fight social ills till we're blue in the face. We can go out there and pound the streets day and night. We can pick it day and night. We can go to different places we don't approve of and pick it day and night. But if we never, ever share the gospel, there will be no revival. You might win a battle on occasion. You might shut down something you don't like on occasion. But if the heart isn't changed, what is changed? Nothing. So, folks, I'm not against fighting for social causes. I'm not against getting involved in politics. Because we do need to take a stand. We do need to uh, put our uh, Christian agenda forth until we're not allowed to anymore. But folks, that's not going to change this world. The only thing that will change the heart is revival, which starts with the conversion of a lost soul. Well, we're almost out of time, but I could go through... Uh, um, all these, uh, I got a bunch of different slides, historical things about what is revival. When we think back in the 1300s, and many of you know these names, revivals that have taken place by preachers who are on fire for God. John Wycliffe, John Huss, many of you are familiar with Martin Luther and John Calvin, uh, the Protestant Reformation, uh, the Wesleys, which uh, again, they came out strong, started the uh, fundamental, if you will, Methodist churches, the Great Awakening under George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards. Folks, you want to hear a fired up 
uh, a sermon, you go to the internet and uh, look up sinners in the hands of an angry God and read the manuscript. I mean, if you think I was harsh tonight, whoo. I mean, he, they, these guys got down on it. Uh, this is interesting. Princeton, Dartmouth, Yale. All used to be fundamental colleges, Bible-believing colleges. What happens when liberalism begins to creep in? What happens when revival is put on the back step? What happens when evangelism becomes a secondary uh, or non-existent thing within a school that was founded on Christian principles? They end up like the Princeton, Dartmouth, and Yale of today. 17 different revivals uh, between the 1783 and 1837 resulting in hundreds of folks that came to Christ. I will guarantee you that will not happen today at those schools. Many of you have heard of Charles Finney, uh, Dwight L. Moody. I went to Moody Bible Institute back in the day uh, in the early 70s. Wonderful, uh, of course, a bit before my time, but Dwight L. Moody, tremendous evangelist across uh, uh, England, Europe, and America. 1800-1830, massive amount of revivals within the Presbyterians, Congregationalists, the Baptists, and the Methodists, all were still following a gospel-centered doctrine. 18, Mid-1800s, 200,000 people united with the leading evangelical churches, of whom 60,000 were young men. By the way, teenagers, you want to know how a revival can break out at Union Grove Baptist Church? You guys, you guys, you guys, you guys, you get on fire for God. My older sister and I got saved in our teens, got fired up for God. Mom and dad got right with God. Dozens of our family members got right with God and got saved because a couple of teenage kids got on fire for God and all of a sudden mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and uncles and aunts all of a sudden begin to hear the gospel and their hearts get changed. Listen, young people, God wants to use teenagers. Say, ah, I don't know about those teenagers. You know, I don't know about young people. Uh, we get worried about that generation. Listen, you guys prove them all wrong. You start the revival yourself. You go out there and tell teenagers about Jesus Christ. Teens, you need to tell folks about Christ. Young people, you need to tell your schoolmates about Christ. You need to tell the neighbors and the young kids that you play with in your neighborhoods about Christ. And you start the revival. I think that'd be pretty cool, don't you? I don't think mom and dad will get mad at you one, one, one little bit if they see you serving God at home. I think they'll actually be happy. What do you think? Can I hear all the young people say amen? Hey, there we go. I didn't know you were a young guy, Nathaniel. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, very good. But I, I'm serious about that, though. Young people, you can cause a major change in America today. You can cause a major change at Union Grove Baptist Church. You can cause a major change in your school, in your neighborhood. Why? When young people see young people get on fire for God, you don't realize how many young people need your help. I'm looking here at uh, 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 Brad uh, uh, running simple steps uh, 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 every Friday night. Listen, there's people in our neighborhood, there's people within the sound of my voice when the doors are open that need to understand that their addictions, that their problems, that those things that they're struggling with, there is an answer. Just like folks that are strung out on alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever else they may be addicted to, young people, 
Teenagers, again, I'm, I'm talking to you tonight as well as everyone else because I believe you guys have the ability to do something marvelous. I really do. I think our youth group is central to making wonderful things happen in this community and in the communities in which you live. The youth group has been transformed in the last several years by what the Pittsburghers have done. The growth has been wonderful. And you know what? I don't, want you, I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to be done. I don't want you to say, well, we're big enough now. We're never big enough. You say, when is a church big enough? When we go to heaven and it's all over. Folks, just keep working. Teens, you keep working. Young people keep working. Young couples keep working. Adults keep working. All of us need to just keep on working. Senior citizens. I don't know if I want to put myself in that category, but I think I've been one for a while. Just keep on working. Keep on sharing the gospel just like took place. So I got to move on and, and shut down. Listen, look at the last one on the slide, uh, 1960 to 1970, the Jesus movement. I talked a little about it this morning, the Jesus revolution, eventually moving into uh, different ministries, including Calvary Chapel, the Vineyard Movement, Jews for Jesus, the Christian World Liberation Front. That's when I got saved. I got saved in the uh, about 1972 is when I trusted Christ. I didn't know what the Jesus movement was. I didn't know what the Jesus freak movement was. But I knew what it was when a, a lady at a bi home Bible study shared the gospel with me and I trusted Christ. Now, this is going to shock some of you. You're like, Pastor, you're kind of old fuddy-duddy. I hope you don't see it that way, but it may be true in some cases. I got saved in high school. You know what I did? I went out and I got myself a big old necklace with a big old cross on it. And it had pretty colored stuff in it. And I put that cross out there and I took a stand in my high school of 2,000 young people. Why? Because I was so excited about what Jesus did for me, I wanted everybody to know. And I mean this in the best of ways, not in a derogatory manner. I was a Jesus freak. I was part of the Jesus movement. I didn't know I was, but because I was so in love with the Lord, I was so in love with doing what God wanted us to do, I wanted to get it out to everybody I could, even if it was a bit unconventional. You say, why, why don't you get mad about some of these revivals taking place that don't have all the right doctrine? Listen, folks, I was in a Bible study that had a whole lot of bad doctrine, but the one thing they got right was the gospel. And I got saved because of it. I wouldn't go back there. I wouldn't uh, make them my uh, spiritual leaders anymore. But I thank God that they gave the gospel. And I'll love them, I'll love them down here, and I'll love them up in heaven. And Jesus will get their doctrine right once they get to heaven. <laughs> but I'm thankful for what they did. All right, let's close out. Let's look at the last thing. This won't take a minute. So when we, and I'm going to, all this is on your handout, so I'm not going to go through it. Uh, but I do want to go to this. So we have revival in the past. Basically, we could look at multiple Old Testament passages. We have revival in the present, which is basically when we look at it from a strict Biblical stance, it's seeing folks come to Christ. But by the way, if you want to be used for God and have spiritual revival in your own heart today, 
which I'm not opposed to. I think it's still a good principle, just like it happened in the Old Testament. Listen, we get right with God. What happens? We get fired up. When you get fired up about God, just like you get fired up about any other thing, a sale at Walmart, a sale at uh, uh, Target, or or when uh, uh, you have your favorite sports team or your favorite musical team or the favorite thing that you love, and you love to tell other people about it. You love to tell uh, uh, seniors. You love to tell folks about your grandkids. Parents love to talk about their own children. Children love to talk about certain things. And God says, listen, when you have revival in your heart and when you're fired up about God, you're going to want to talk about him. Folks, if you're silent about Jesus, it's because you may have to have a little revival in your own heart tonight. When you go to school tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to uh, talk with your friends, how much of that conversation has anything to do with the gospel, has anything to do with Christ? You say, never. Then you need a revival. Plain and simple. Because if you love something that much, like the things we do want to talk about, you're going to talk about him. All right, last thing. Let's talk about just for a moment, and I'll just read the verses. We'll be done. What about revival in the future? Well, here's what's coming. Here's true revival that's going to happen. Next major event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church when Jesus Christ comes in the air to take his people home. Seven years of horrible tribulation. Then we come to the next major event, which is when the absolute revival will break out on this earth when Jesus Christ returns to set up his millennial kingdom right here on this earth. Boy, you want to talk about a revival, it's a coming. And in uh, Revelation 19, it tells us this. We're talking about Jesus now. Again, we're at the end of the seven-year tribulation, which hasn't occurred yet. It's all future. And now Jesus is ready to come down and set up his kingdom right here on earth. And it's going to be revival time. So it says, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. By the way, that's you if you're a Christian. You're one of these people. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him, followed Jesus on white horses. Now out of his mouth, Jesus' mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself, Jesus Christ, treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The ultimate revival is yet to happen when Jesus Christ returns with his saints to this earth to set up his kingdom where Jesus Christ will rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years, Revelation 21 to 7. Folks, uh, we're not going to see that kind of a revival till Jesus comes back. And of course, we'll all be up there in heaven, either through rapture or death. We'll be up there for that seven-year period. We'll all come back with him and we'll see the greatest revival of all times breaks out when Jesus comes back to the earth. But that's future. That's coming. How about tonight? Where do you stand with Jesus tonight? The Bible says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Folks, would you get that message out this week? Would you start to pray for someone? Listen, you want revival to break out in your heart 
and corporately as a church, you begin to pray for sinners. You begin to pray for folks in your family that may not be saved. You begin to pray for those at your work. You begin to pray for those that you come in contact with. You take a, you go in the back and you grab a handful of tracks and you take them with you and you hand them out to folks. And, and just like my wife Valerie got saved when she picked up a track at a particular place and read the track and received Christ as a personal Savior, God can use those pieces of paper. God can use you. God can send revival through a ton of different methods, but we've got to do his work. Now then, Christian, we are ambassadors for Christ. Why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world to bring revival of that which is dead and bring it to life. What will you do with Jesus this evening? Father, I pray as we... Close this service. Father, I, I just, I, you know it's heavy in my heart. I know what's going on around the country. The folks in this room know what's going on. They know what's going on around our city. They know the resistance that there is to spiritual things by so many today. But Father, on the other hand, there's folks that are waiting out there to hear it. There's folks that are searching tonight. There's mothers and dads and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and friends and loved ones that are just waiting to hear what we already know. Father, would you help us to bring revival? Would you help us to share the greatest news ever given to mankind that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners? If you're here tonight, God bless you for being here. You gave up your time to be here tonight. Now how about walking out of here different than the way you walked in. How about pouring yourself out, if you will, right there at your seat and asking the Lord, oh God, would you help me this week? I've been a little bit cold. I'm not where I wish I was. I, I want to increase my relationship with you. Would you help me tonight? Oh God, would you help me? Would you fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can go out and tell folks the greatest news ever given that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. Help me to walk with God. Help me to be a good example this week. If you're here finally watching, maybe someone in the room tonight, if you died right now, where would you go? The Bible makes it so clear that the only way we get to heaven is through understanding that we've sinned and come short of God's glory, Romans 3.23. And that every single one of us deserves, unfortunately, an awful place called hell because we are sinners by nature. Romans 6, 23. But the great news is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, proving that he was God. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And then, Father, that wonderful promise that you've given to every single one of us, that there's a free gift, and all we have to do is take it by faith, which is eternal life. For by grace, God's free unmerited gift, are we saved, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace are we saved through faith, and it is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. If you've never accepted that free gift, would you take it tonight? Would you know for sure that your sins are forgiven and that you're bound for heaven by receiving that free gift tonight? Right there where you are, just receive it, take it, embrace it. And by faith, receive that free gift of eternal life. Father, seal decisions. We thank you for your love for us. Help us, Father, to, uh, uh, boy, to stay in tune with each other. Help us to be strongly unified. Help us to have the power of the Holy Spirit this week as we go out to spread the greatest news ever given to mankind about our dear Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ.